0: Thank you for joining me for a special edition of Get Real Health. Today, I'll take you on a guided tour of the first 10 episodes of this show and pull out some gems from each. I'll be sharing memorable quotes, credible resources, aha moments, and practical advice from amazing experts. Along the way, I'll encourage you to look beyond the learnings within each episode and help you gain insights into how science works. Today's topics run the gamut from COVID-19 to vaccines, nutrition, physical activity, happiness, and the gut microbiome. Let's dig in. Welcome to Get Real Health. I'm your host, Dr. Chana Davis. This show cuts through the noise to give you science based insights from real experts so that you can make smart, healthy choices. The first episode of Get Real Health was a conversation with Dr. Jennifer Gardy. She is a scientist and microbe hunter who works at the Gates Foundation. She specializes in tracking infectious disease outbreaks using genetic and genomic tools, and she's also a fabulous science communicator. Our conversation took place on a notable day last spring, the day the WHO declared the COVID outbreak had reached pandemic status. What I really appreciated from Dr. Gardy was a very fundamental framework that she shared from the field of epidemiology. It's called the epidemiological triad. She raised this framework when I asked her the question, how bad did she think this was going to get? She said that in order to answer that question, you need to have a pretty solid understanding of three things, the host, the pathogen, the environment. Of course, you also need to understand how they relate to each other. And she was very clear that we know very little about any of those elements because the SARS-CoV-2 virus is so novel. So what I think Dr. Gardy really brought to the conversation was an appreciation that even the experts knew very little back then. And that on top of that, the sign of a true expert is someone who's very upfront about how little we know. That's something that I look for in all aspects of health and science information that I consume. I look for people who are very upfront About the current state of knowledge and how things could change, and that we need to be seeking more knowledge to gain confidence in our predictions. In fact, a memorable quote from Dr. Gardy came about in a conversation when we were discussing our current behaviors. And at that time, there were only a dozen or so cases here in Vancouver and similarly in Chicago. And she was still socializing with friends. But she commented that she was prepared to change her behavior, quote, at a moment's notice. And I remember thinking that it was a fairly dramatic statement, the moment's notice. But in retrospect, she was bang on. And that is the nature of outbreaks. Things can change very quickly. So another big takeaway from this episode, which is something that we've kind of all lived, is that we do need to be prepared to change our behaviors. And this pandemic is not over yet. I personally am prepared to change my behavior at a moment's notice if things change again with a new variant. Episode two was a conversation with Dr. Brett Finley. He is a microbiome guru. He is a researcher and author of two books, Let Them Eat Dirt and the Whole Body Microbiome, both of which I highly recommend. He is currently at UBC here in Vancouver. He's also a founder of Microbiome Insights. I'll share with you four big takeaways from my conversation with Dr. Finley, all of which are consistent with other microbiome experts that I follow. Number one, the single best thing you can do for your gut microbiome is to eat lots of fiber. Where do you get fiber? You get it from plants, especially whole plants, whole grains, fruits, vegetables, and legumes. The fiber in those plants is amazing fuel for those little bugs in your gut, in your colon they digest it and break it down and thrive when you feed them. In fact, I often tell my kids that when they eat their fruits and their veggies, that the little guys inside them are saying, yum, thank you very much. So you can try that trick with your kids. Let me know how it goes. Tip number two from Dr. Finley is to be skeptical of probiotics. Most of them honestly don't work. He recommended a resource called probioticchart.ca that gives some information kind of evidence levels behind a number of probiotic uses. And you'll see that in most cases, the evidence is very low. There are a couple of exceptional cases where probiotics have pretty solid evidence behind them. But in the vast majority of cases, particularly for very general things like better gut health, you really should be turning to food first. That's a much better bet than a probiotic, especially because quality is questionable. Number three. Use antibiotics sparingly. Of course, you don't want to avoid antibiotics altogether because antibiotics have saved millions of lives and will continue to save many lives. But we need to be responsible stewards of antibiotics because we are facing a massive global issue. A quote here that I remember from Dr. Finley is that antibiotics are like carpet bombing your gut microbiome. So keep that in mind next time you're debating whether or not to get a prescription if you're not even sure what is going on. Tip number four from Dr. Finley is don't be too clean. As you know, his book is entitled Let Them Eat Dirt. So he's a big fan of having your kids be exposed to dirt, playing in the garden, go to a farm. As he said, let the dog slobber on your kids. So just exposing yourself to what's out there is a great thing to do, especially early on. Of course, pandemics are exceptions and you want to up your hygiene and maybe be mindful of your exposures as we are continuing to navigate this pandemic. One thing I'll leave you with on the topic of the microbiome, because this is a field I worked in myself during my graduate years, is that it is still a very young science. When I finished my PhD, man, over a decade ago, we were really just scratching the surface. And during my studies, I followed 12 newborn babies and looked at how their guts were colonized. And that was considered a groundbreaking paper to just look at what was there in 12 babies after birth. And, you know, we've come a long ways thanks to new tools, but we still barely even understand what health looks like, let alone what disease looks like and how to manipulate the situation. So just try to take these claims in this field with a grain of salt and just kind of stick to the fundamentals for now. Episode three was a conversation with Dr. Alison Bernstein. She is a scientist and researcher and also a very passionate and talented science communicator part of the PsyMoms group. In her work and in her writing, she studies toxicants and helps people understand when it's appropriate to stress more and when maybe we could stress a little less. One thing she talks about a lot is the difference between hazard and risk. And that's something I really recommend digging into because it applies to so many areas of health decision-making. A hazard is something that has a potential risk. Could be problematic. Whereas what we really care about is how hazardous something is and how much we're exposed to that hazard compared to what's a safe level. So you'll hear me repeatedly harping on the phrase, the dose makes the poison. That's something Dr. Bernstein and I kind of joking about getting tattooed. That's something that can really help you stress more strategically because getting your dose down to zero. Of any given hazard in your life, whether it's a pesticide or whether it's alcohol, getting your dose down to zero is not necessarily the goal. The goal is to have your exposure level be lower than what is considered safe and different things have different safe amounts. I feel like I'm rambling a bit here, but this is just such a pervasive misconception and such a common strategy for misinformation to have people kind of selling fear on the idea that any level of exposure is not okay. And that's just not true. In fact, Dr. Bernstein and I actually share a common frustration that there's a lot of emphasis health-wise put on things that maybe are not as impactful and not always as much emphasis and energy put on things that are more impactful. For example, a lot of parents spend a lot of energy and time and money concerned about bringing their pesticide level exposure down to zero but maybe not as much energy putting into just being more active and bringing their lifestyle from fully sedentary to slightly active, which is something that can give you a lot better health benefit than worrying about a single drop of pesticide. A great resource that I recommend here is the SciMoms Risk in Perspective series, which you can find on the SciMoms website. Episode four was a conversation with Dr. Christopher Gardner, Dr. Gardner is a nutrition researcher at Stanford who has been in the field for over three decades. He is very well versed in the field of weight loss, and he ran recently a large trial comparing moderate, low-fat, and low-carbohydrate diets, both of high nutritional quality. I don't want to spoil the episode completely, but the big takeaway here is that there really is no one-size-fits-all best diet for weight loss. There's a lot of near religious zeal around different macronutrient ratios of fat and carbs and protein, but that is not the strongest predictor of weight loss. The strongest predictor is energy balance and finding a diet that is sustainable and enjoyable and works for you and your lifestyle. Of course, nutritional quality is important, but there's just far too much emphasis being put on the macronutrient ratios. That's some of the big takeaway from Dr. Gardner's work. And I hope you'll check out some of the research in our discussion. Another interesting aspect of my conversation with Dr. Gardner was some of the work that he's done in collaboration with some psychology researchers at Stanford on the way that we think about and market veggies to ourselves and to others. He did some work, on simply the name on a vegetable in a cafeteria and how if you call something citrus glazed carrots versus fiber filled carrots can actually impact our intake. So this is something that stuck with me, that it can be counterproductive sometimes to emphasize the health value of a food like fiber filled carrots. And we should be focusing on making our fruits and vegetables delicious and enjoyable rather than The mindset that we need to choke them down only because they're healthy. I personally love fruits and vegetables and I think it's such a shame that they have this reputation as something you need to force upon yourself. Anyways, that's pervaded the way that I share recipes. I sort of lead now more often with why I enjoy it rather than what nutrition it's going to offer you. Episode five was a conversation with Dr. Bronwyn McInnes. Dr. McInnes is a very dear friend of mine, and we met in grad school at Stanford, and she has done some amazing things since then. In the last year, she has been truly on the front lines of tracking the COVID pandemic. She works at the Broad Institute of Harvard and MIT, where they've actually been doing a lot of sequencing of COVID samples from patients. She also has an amazing wealth of experience from having worked with other infectious diseases like Ebola, Zika, and malaria. Like Dr. Gardy, she is essentially what's called a genomic epidemiologist that uses genetic and genomic tools to track outbreaks. An interesting message that came away from this conversation was that mutations sort of have a bad rap, viral mutations, that is. So they don't necessarily need to be cause for alarm. And in fact, from Dr. McGuinness's perspective, it's actually great. Some mutations actually have a benefit because they serve as fingerprints for a specific strain, and you can see how they're spreading within populations based on their unique changes. a sort of a paradigm shift. The second thing is just to not be too alarmist whenever you hear about a new variant. There certainly are some very concerning variants out there that I'm sure you've all heard about. But early on, we were hearing about, you know, 20 different mutations and people were worrying that we would never be able to generate a vaccine. But both in viruses and in humans, most mutations don't actually do anything. We can get into why that is another time, but simply having a mutation doesn't necessarily mean that there's a change in function. And a change in function is what we truly care about. So I hope you'll check out this conversation for more insights on how viruses change and how we use their genetic and genomic changes to track how they spread. A quote that I remember from Dr. McGinnis is that sequencing viral genomes from COVID patients is like having the virus's secret war plans. And this really speaks to the fact that Being a scientist really is like being a detective. In fact, I have a bit of career envy, I have to admit, because I always wanted to be a detective. So Dr. McInnes really has a fascinating career, and I hope you'll take the time to check out our conversation. Episode six was a conversation with Dr. Maya Adam. She is a physician and educator who is passionate about using technology to reach people around the world across language barriers. So she spends a lot of time thinking about what's the best way to convey information. She's the director of Stanford's Health Education Outreach Program, and she is founder of Just Cook for Kids. The most important thing that I wanted to convey from this conversation was that we all need to be part of the fight against misinformation. And there are two important things you can do. Number one, be skeptical of what you read in the news and on social media. Never assume that something is a fact just because one random person says it. Don't trust the headlines at face value. Always read the full story. Number two, think before you share. Are you amplifying science or are you amplifying fears? In fact, I heard about an interesting experiment where they asked people to pause before they shared and to consider whether or not the information was true. And this had a really positive impact on reducing sharing of misinformation. So please practice responsible sharing. Episode seven was a conversation with Dr. Bonnie Maldonado. She's the chief of pediatric infectious diseases at Stanford. As you might imagine, she is a huge advocate of childhood vaccines. You can really feel the passion and the frustration Of someone who has seen children suffering from preventable diseases. She shared some staggering vaccine statistics, such as the fact that vaccines prevent millions of deaths in children each year. In addition, vaccines have slashed cases in Canada of over a dozen diseases. Some of them are now roughly one-tenth what they used to be. Others are one-one-hundredth, like measles, mumps, rubella, diphtheria, polio. Our conversation was also interesting in that it gave a hint of things to come with COVID vaccines and challenges with rollout and acceptance. The most important takeaway on this front is that risk versus benefit is what matters. No medicine, no vaccine is perfect. There's always going to be some tiny risk, but what matters is how the risk of the vaccine compares to the risk of the actual disease itself. And that's what regulators are looking at when they approve vaccines. How does getting vaccinated compare to getting the disease? And the answer, I'm going to tell you, is crystal clear. Number two, this is another important message from Dr. Maldonado, that vaccine-preventable diseases are not gone. They're actually just waiting for their chance to come back. There's a great list, I think it's on the CDC, of 14 diseases we almost forgot about thanks to vaccines. But there are examples where lack of vaccination in a small pocket is enough for a disease to come back. And we've seen that with measles, and we are going to see it with COVID 19. The last thing on vaccines, both of traditional childhood vaccines and for COVID 19, is to watch out for misinformation and be very careful where you get your information. She is a big fan of the American Academy of Pediatrics, they have some great information on vaccines and on all sorts of childhood conditions. These are people that have your child's interests at heart and have the appropriate training to help you understand the risks and benefits of any decision that you're contemplating. One more thing from Dr. Maldonado is a memorable quote. She said that the last thing we need right now is outbreaks of vaccine preventable diseases. So please don't let COVID get in the way of other essential healthcare and childhood vaccinations. Mm-hmm. Episode eight was a conversation with Professor Elizabeth Dunn. She is a happiness researcher here at UBC and she directs the Happy Lab. I also happen to know her personally because our kids used to attend the same school and we've been known to enjoy boot camp workouts together. So we talked about different ways to boost our happiness and all of these things really resonated with me personally. The first one was the power of exercise that's something that Dr. Dunn practices daily and I do as well. It just does so much for me. I just can't recommend it enough to weave that into your life. As I'll talk about in the next episode, exercise doesn't have to mean crazy sweat session. It can mean being in nature and going for a walk. So please don't underestimate what even a little bit of movement can do for your mental well-being. The second thing we talked about is the power of giving and using your money strategically when that's available to you in sort of a win-win type of way that can obviously benefit the recipient, but also benefit you. You can learn more about this from her book, Happy Money, The Science of Happier Spending. I'll just share with you one of the nuggets I took away is looking for opportunities where I can feel a strong personal connection and sort of see in a more tangible way the impact of the money. So for example, a sponsor a child type program is something that resonates well with me. The third aspect of our conversation that I wanted to share is a little tidbit on smartphone use, because it turns out that smartphones can impact your personal experience and your happiness, even when you're not actually using them. So we talked briefly about an experiment of people dining out and having their smartphones either on the table or not on the table, and how simply having the phone there in view could be a negative thing, even if it wasn't in use. So this is something I now try to practice and just put my phone out of sight when I want to focus on just being present in whatever I'm doing. Episode nine was a conversation with Dr. Rochelle Pajednik. She's a teacher turned exercise and nutrition researcher who is also a very passionate science communicator and MythBuster. We talked a lot about the way that Exercise has been mismarketed, and how we really need to just change the way we frame exercise. And really, we should be thinking more in terms of movement, not so much the stereotypical get on a treadmill. It doesn't have to be long and sweaty and arduous and painful. What matters is a little bit of movement and movement that you enjoy and that you'll keep coming back for. We also talked about the fact that. The emphasis on exercise as a weight loss tool is just so wrong for so many reasons. First of all, it is not proven to deliver weight loss, and we discuss that in more detail. And second of all, focusing on weight loss really detracts from all the other benefits. As we talked about earlier, happiness, but also there are substantial physical benefits that you can gain even without losing weight. Dr. Pajendik mentioned things like hormone balance and blood glucose control of course, stress busting, which can impact your physical health as well. The quote that she shared on this one that really sticks with me is that exercise or movement, I should say, should be a gift, not a chore. One last thing on this topic that I think is really an important message to convey is that every little bit counts and it's never too late. She's worked a lot with people in later stages of life and seen substantial benefits. Episode 10 was a conversation with Dr. Caroline Bucky from the Harvard School of Public Health. She is an epidemiologist who, at the time we spoke, had been in the trenches of navigating the pandemic in the U.S. for about eight months. What I really enjoyed from this was a conversation about epidemiological models and what they can and cannot do. I can't be quite as articulate as Dr. Bucky, but what she essentially conveyed is that they are just a way to formalize assumptions and to see what they can predict. So it's really unfair, I think, that epidemiologists got so much flack for their models being imperfect, given that they were just the best we had. We knew so little about the virus, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, and how it spreads, how transmissible it was, and how people would even respond to the different interventions, how effective they were, and how people would respond. We knew so little, and yet we were asked to try and make projections. We, they, were asked to try to make projections. And, of course, they weren't perfect. So she was just in some ways defending that models are still a useful tool, even if they don't always predict well. The lack of prediction itself is informative that we need to refine our models and we need to refine our assumptions. This conversation was also really striking on an emotional level because I could sense Dr. Bucky's frustration at what it was like to be stuck trying to convey science and having public pushing back and unwilling to follow what she viewed as Common sense interventions, and all these scientists were just giving so much and still are giving so much of themselves personally and yet still being criticized for not being perfect and not giving perfect advice because the science evolves and that we need to evolve our advice accordingly. anyways, it just made me want to reach out to hug a scientist and thank them for their work because there are so many people that have been giving so much throughout this pandemic to research scientists behind the scenes, public health officials, nurses, doctors, everyone. But just really filled me with both frustration on their behalf and gratitude for everyone and what they've been giving. I did ask Dr. Bucky to whip out a crystal ball at the end and like a true scientist, she was very reluctant to try to make predictions, but she did do pretty well. She said that she thought that the pandemic would be pretty ugly over the winter, but then that vaccines would rescue us and bring us a milder summer. Of course, it remains to be seen whether or not we'll have another wave coming in a serious way as new variants of concern arise. So that is it for episode 10 of Get Real Health. I just wanted to wrap up with a couple of final reflections. Thanks for tuning in to this review of the first 10 episodes of this show. I hope you gained new insights that you can use to guide your daily choices and that you also learned something about how science works. Looking back, it strikes me that one of the best silver linings of the COVID pandemic is that it's allowed the world to witness science in action. It's shown us that science is a work in progress and that it's okay, even a good thing, to change your mind when you learn new things. This is why scientists avoid giving simple advice like, do this, not that. I know this can be frustrating when all you want is a quick answer, but in the end, seeking nuance and a deeper understanding will pay off. The message here is not that science is unreliable. The message is that science evolves and that we need to bear this in mind. We need to always be mindful of the level of evidence behind a statement because it can vary wildly. This practice of contemplating the level of evidence is something I do with every morsel of information that I encounter. With time, I hope to help you develop your own critical lens. Through which you ingest health headlines and other information. I'll be back again soon with highlights and reflections from episodes 11 through 20. If you enjoy the show, please share with others or post a review, or both. I look forward to connecting with you again soon. In the meantime, you can get more of my content on my website at fieldbyscience.com or on social at fieldbyscience. Take care.